to Radio Survivor. We're here for the love of radio and sound. My name is Eric Klein. And I'm Paul Reesmandel. And on today's show, we have our friend, Becky Myers, who is the general manager at KCAW Raven Radio in Sitka, Alaska. Joining us again to talk about running a radio station in a unique community during a pandemic. Hi, Becky. (laughs) Hey, it's great to be back. You know, uh, what we did here on Radio Survivor is essentially one year ago, we had you on when it was genuinely a emerging global emergency that the pandemic was spreading. It had not yet reached Alaska officially or had hardly affected your, your community of Sitka at the time that we spoke one year ago. So maybe let's just start by having you tell us, like, how was how was your year in Sitka during the global pandemic? pandemic? Yeah, and especially your <laughs> community, not you, Becky Myers, but you, the, the community of Sitka, right. Alaska, as well as your radio station. Mm-hmm. It has been a very um, strange and interesting year. Um, the community of Sitka, we we had the benefit of having a um, a state governor and leadership at the health and human services level that that really understood the impact and the need to be able to like mitigate things, if not, you know, to the point where they created um, mandatory mask mandates throughout the state, but, you know, controlled the traffic in and out of the state by requiring people to test as they arrived or arrive with a test. We were one of only a few states to do that. And that that was a big benefit as Alaska is a highly seasonal place. And our summers are usually, we have an entirely different itinerant, you know, situation with workers coming in for fish processing for for, um, cruises and uh, tourism and and all the wildlife kind of stuff that happens. Um, Our season last year during the summer was really cut back. But we did have a really, here in Sitka specifically, our city leadership took that really seriously and created direct relief for people here in the city. So you could apply and get utility relief. You could get mortgage relief. There were, you know, free rent for a year kind of programs. And the city assembly worked really hard to get dollars directly into the pockets of the people and organizations that were suffering. So on on a larger scale of things, you know, we've, we've done pretty well in having supports in place for people that have been impacted deeply by the pandemic related recession. And here that's, that continues to be a big deal. It's going to be a bad year for um, cruise ship traffic yet again, because of Canada closing the border to um, sea traffic going North. So that that's going to be a big challenge going forward too. But we also have seen incredible, you know, um, when it comes to vaccine, incredible efforts to get, people vaccinated in super rural areas. And right now, Raven Radio in Sitka, almost all the staff are vaccinated here. Our um, community of Sitka is over half vaccinated and we are starting to vaccinate um, teenagers 16 and over, which is the, we're the very first community in the United States to do that. And that's primarily because of the allocations that were, you know, given to the state as well as to the indigenous health consortiums that happen here in Alaska and our local one, SEARCH, Southeast Regional Health Consortium, is um, they did an incredible job. They're very, very thorough and very um, and, and very efficient in the way that they were 
putting out vaccines. So we we're kind of in this like weird liminal state in, in generally where we are coping pretty well with the direct realities of COVID-19 and some of the indirect things that are happening have a really deep ripple effect and will definitely impact life here in Southeast Alaska for years to come. And tell me about the role that your radio station has played, especially, um, I guess, in the phases of the pandemic. Maybe it's most appropriate to start with this one, where we are in a very right. important <laughs> we, we are in a very important phase of the pandemic here, 12 months into the experience. You just described um, what's going on in your community. How is your radio station yeah. playing a role? My radio station, so KCAW is where I'm at, and we have been a very central part of the health and human services aspect of all of this. So, you know, we, we, we say that because we're, you know, not simply just covering the news. We're not simply sharing information about resources and things for folks to be aware of, but we're, we're taking um, very deliberate efforts to partner with state and local officials to make sure that information is being shared in a way that people are able to conceive of it. So we we are still very focused on a really robust public service to the listeners and the the folks that are outside of our, you know, immediate geographic location for the studio where we're also providing information to communities that we serve by translators. So um, we're, you know, sharing COVID related information as a news source. And that's that's kind of our, our all the time work. We recently had one documented case of somebody, the first in Sitka to lose their life to COVID-19 here. And we, we covered that. We have um, continued to partner with our state and local officials to get information out about mandates, although the mandates here in Alaska have expired because our, our governor elected not to renew the emergency declaration here. So we, we continue to serve the public with information about how to stay safe, how to access resources if they've been impacted financially through the pandemic, and anything else that might might be of use in that way. That's That's kind of the hard news scenario, how we are able to continue giving information to our listeners. But another part of it is 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 about connection and emotional, like, you know, humanity, right? What we're trying to do with that is, one, we're bringing as many people back to the air as possible. And through a partnership with the um, Alaska Department of Health and Human Services, really, we got a grant in order to outfit our air rooms with appropriate filtration, get the right amount of PPE, and kind of stock up and get ready for folks to be live in the regular air studio. But we've also retrofitted one of our production spaces to be an air studio as well. So people are are trading in and out. So we can return basically, with very few exceptions, we're returning to our normal schedule of locally hosted shows. And I think that that's a big relief to people who have been missing their friends and familiar voices on the air. Another aspect of that is that we're partnering with um, organizations here locally to create engaging uh, participatory programming. So one example of that is partnering with a nonprofit, an arts one, called Art Change, Inc., and they have an event series called Sitka Tells Tales. It's a moth-style kind of storytelling event. And we have had two episodes with them so far, one recorded and one live. And it's a format that we're going to continue to work on 
not just with them, but also with the Sitka tribe in order to have conversations and storytelling by our elders here in the tribal community. So that's that's a part of the local sort of um, engagement piece where we're looking to have more voices on the air. And then we're also really, really fortunate to partner with the NFCB in their Community Counts initiative. And we're focusing our, our specific cohort project to be on building a proof of concept where we can train folks in remote communities the art of making radio and then helping them to create that um, locally, so generating content locally, and then either distributing it through Raven Radio or through their own broadcast technology, which we provide technical and engineering support on. So we we have a lot of, you know, it, it's so different this time last year, we were talking about how we were scaling back and, and hoping to fill, you know, these buffer programs with um, syndicated programming, and and now it's a it's kind of a renaissance of locally originated stuff, and there are a lot of um, really cool possibilities. Ones that we're testing now, in you know terms of building remote capacity, um, we've had our Mount Edgecombe Radio Club, a group of boarding school teenagers, restart their radio club because we were able to have them live remote from their school and built them a studio there. So we're, we're, we're trying a lot of different tactics just to make sure that we, you know, we're not simply serving the informational needs, but also, you know, the connective and um, emotional needs of the people around us. And I think at this point, Becky, it's important to remind listeners that uh, KCAW, Raven Radio in Sitka, Alaska, you know, is, uh, is a unique station compared to what we think of in the lower 48. Um, in terms of community radio, where because very often a community radio station is one of many non-commercial stations, uh, often one of many, many, many more stations on the dial. And in Sitka, you have a relatively uh, small number of stations uh, there, correct? Oh, yeah, definitely. We're one of the few locally like originated stations here. There's a AM station that is a local talk format, but the remainder of um, Spectrum that happens here in Sitka is from really far away translators for Christian stations. That's just about it. We got the the market cornered on local service here. And you're serving a community as well that is is spread out geographically uh, where, you know, for many of the smaller communities you serve, uh, you know, you, you can basically only travel by by boat and plane, correct? That's right. And you can't you can't drive here to Sitka at all. And none of our communities are really connected except by plane and and boat or maybe swimming if you're that, you know, physically fit. <laughs> <laughs> And so I point that out because it's important to kind of remind folks that the extent to which your station is very much this this informational lifeline. And while people in many communities do have they have telephone and some communities have have cell service or have Internet service, it it isn't the level of, of, of coverage that we're often accustomed to, even in rural areas of the lower 48, although it's certainly a kind of challenge that, that many rural areas you know, in, in other states do also uh, deal with. It's not absolutely unique to Alaska, but there is a very unique situation to to Southeast Alaska in particular. Right. And Paul, so in, in, in episodes past where we've had Becky Myers on the show, helped me understand that, that uh, KCAW Raven Radio also functions in a, in a hybrid fashion. You know, we, mm-hmm. we hear 
in the lower 48 are, are used to radio stations either being community stations where they're staffed by volunteers, where they have like a lot of, um, you know, community members coming in and making community radio, or they're a public radio station. They air all things considered. They have uh, syndicated programming from the national public radio, you know, diaspora. Mm-hmm. Um, but KCAW uh, is both for yep. Sitka. We do it all. <laughs> there isn't very much segmentation here, for sure. We we are something to everybody, for sure. I wanted to kind of ask you a little bit more about, you know, your, your news department at this point, right? Um, because I, I remember, you know, when we last spoke and when I, I toured the station two years ago nearly, um, you know, you, you had a fairly robust kind of news internship program and you have a news director. Um has any what has changed in the last year with regard to what what you're able to do with with your news programming well we we have no longer um that internship program we 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 had scrapped it in favor of being a report for america host newsroom so instead of having you know somebody here full time as a third reporter for only a portion of the year we have somebody here for the full entire year working in a full time capacity in a working newsroom and uh, wow. report for america if if i don't know if You've covered this too much in the past, but it is a program that's designed to combat, you know, news deserts in places where journalism is is being eroded away due to the closure of newspapers or other media sources. And we are lucky to be in a position where we can support that effort by hosting an emergent journalist. And that person focuses on our translator communities. That so far we've been able and lucky to work with Erin um, McKinstry, who served as well in Alaska Public Media, KSKA in Anchorage, and has um, you know brought an amazing amount of acumen and dedication to her work here in Sitka. So our capacity, you know, you think you would trade like one for one, like, oh, here's the internship program. It's only a portion and here's a full-time position. And the RFA position as Erin's holding it has increased our capacity in the newsroom dramatically. So she's not only covering, you know, local stories from places like Port Alexander or Tenneke Springs from a distance because it's still the pandemic and getting around is still difficult. But she's also embarking on enterprise reporting on big stories that are impacting all of our communities. And one we're about to release is about um, housing and the housing shortage and the difficulty people are facing mm. in housing here in Sitka. So, yeah, our, our capacity has increased. And, and that's been really crucial throughout the pandemic because news is the way that we're able to combat misinformation and I think that people in Sitka and in the surrounding Southeast Alaskan communities have had a really the, – the incidents of, of terrible, catastrophic rumor mongering and disinformation have reduced dramatically since the beginning of the pandemic. And so far, I think people are feeling pretty aware and informed about what's going on. And Erin came to you from Anchorage. So I, I, I was was she already in Alaska, uh, not having to come from from somewhere else uh, yeah. to begin this? Because yeah. <laughs> I was just thinking it, it would have been a, probably a challenge to have <laughs> someone even come mm-hmm. um, in, in within the last year. And so being able to call on uh, someone who who not only is already in the state, but but clearly probably experienced with 
you know, the, the unique qualities of, of life in Alaska and, and, so, and sensitive to it. I'd like to turn now uh, to how KCAW functions as a community radio station. I'm, I know that at the, you know, so we, we know that in, in the United States, as well as in particular in your community in Alaska, um, it was entirely possible. And in fact, it happened quite a bit as soon as the initial months of the pandemic wore on that paid staff at media organizations uh, continued their jobs. And sometimes people worked remotely. Sometimes people worked together. They, you know, they determined that there was a safe way to, you know, to, to work together. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of people continued to work during the pandemic, but a lot of, a lot of community organizations, a lot of arts organizations and a lot of volunteer run um, places throughout the world, I'm sure, and uh, did not have that privilege, had to had to slow down or stop. Uh, precautions had to be taken. I'm wondering, um, you know, we spoke again, we spoke 12 months ago at the very beginning mm-hmm. when when KCAW needed to start uh, shutting its doors to volunteers or figuring out ways for volunteers to work remotely. Mm-hmm. Um, tell us about tell us about the journey from that moment to now. <laughs> it, it feels like a humongous epic journey. Like this is the, the epic story of how Raven Radio was able to bring humans back to the air. But you were right. We, we did have to close the doors. We at one point had about two weeks of primarily syndicated programming because of the pandemic. And and in Sitka, you know, we didn't really have like the explosion of cases, but every single one of them initially, you know, was a cause for panic. And so we we scaled everything super back. And then about June, I would say that that's when the state government had kind of had started rolling out like easements of the the shutdown orders and stuff. And we we took that opportunity to start reopening responsibly. Here, that meant um, creating a, a, like a staggered schedule of people live on the air. So we, you know, had to create policies and methods by which people are able to completely sanitize the air room. We, you know, had the windows open. We we had very specific rules about occupancy. And then um, we had people come in, but only half of them, right? The other half of the times were filled with um, syndicated programming either produced here in Alaska or elsewhere because, as you pointed out, we are an NPR affiliate and we have relationships with PRX and APM and, and all of the different distribution platforms. And so that that was the technique for a little while. And people were starting to feel pretty tired of that, I think, maybe around September. So we started um, getting that feedback and then thought critically about how we were going to be able to bring more people back to the station. And we were really lucky that at that same time, a coronavirus nonprofit relief fund had been created for nonprofits as us trying to figure out innovative ways to keep their their folks safe. And so we applied for funding for that. We received about $77,000 of that. And then we applied it for creating, um, you know, safe spaces in the station and outfitting our uh, production room downstairs to be a secondary air studio and working out the the signal flow and all of the, the technological needs that had to happen there. And, and installing the things that could make it possible for us to, say, you know, refresh the air in a room in a certain amount of time so that we could stagger people. But that took a long time. 
And by the time uh, we reached mid-January, that's when we felt like we were a- we had kind of ironed out all the technological kinks to do that. And we started, we launched our full schedule again, inviting people back that felt comfortable in, in doing, you know, their volunteer produced programs once again. When, during the pandemic, we had a few people that could pre-produce, that could do it from home, but the technological difficulty around that was like pretty diverse. Some people had computers that could they could handle uh, Audition or whatever software they were using. They did have a microphone, but many people didn't. And the attempts were pretty, we, we encouraged people to try it. We gave them all the resources that we could, and then it was just impossible to. Yeah. You know, Becky Myers, that. Becky Myers, general manager at KCAW Raven Radio in Sitka, Alaska. Can you take a moment to share with us what it was like in January, which is the middle of winter in Alaska, <laughs> to to bring people back into your radio station to to make community radio um, at the height of the pandemic with <laughs> this amazing grant that you just described. You don't have to tell us the details of the grant. I'm more interested in the details of what it was like for people to have what it sounds like to have your radio um, come back into the community in a way that um, I don't, I don't think a lot of us had that privilege Mm -hmm. uh, around the country to have our radios, um, you know, turn back on in January of 2021. Yeah. That, that was a huge thing for us. And it was definitely a big part of, I think the community kind of opening up and feeling a little more hopeful about things, because as I mentioned, there's some, some, benchmarks that we have the privilege of reaching around public health that that seemed really great. And then there are all these other like really difficult things that we we were looking at and looking down the line at and being able to have community voices return to the air was it was almost like a sigh of relief collectively amongst all 9000 people that lived here and in our you know translator communities who have been through the entire pandemic completely isolated. Like they they have closed their borders, so to speak, to travelers. They they don't allow like things to happen, like people in and out, really. And having the radio come back with like a human voice and somebody that they were accustomed to was really really important. And we've gotten a big outpouring of support in that way. Um, I've gotten letters from folks that would they sent them to me because they were they don't have a phone, they don't have internet. And they're super glad to be able to have human contact once again for those who were truly off the grid. And that 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 is a super that is such an amazing thing. And I, I'm I also feel amazing about it. Like my my whole you know outlook has has improved dramatically. The work, mm. unfortunately, you know, in the pandemic, like it, it feels like things got deferred, and then the moment like I started to breathe again, then they all just like crowded in, and then there was a ton of stuff to do. But I, I feel I feel good and confident about the level of service and 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 community voices that we've been able to bring back. That that has been a game changer. And then being able to bring in folks that continue to be isolated. That that was huge. Having Mount Edgecombe Radio Club, for example, come back to the air this past Tuesday after a lot of testing, a lot of building out of that studio and and to hear them on the air and how happy they were and how creative that programming was. It I don't know how to describe the joy that I I felt and I I still feel really proud about it. (laughs) Can you can you tell us what what you're describing Mount 
Mount Edgecombe, did you say? Mount Edgecombe Radio Club. We are one of the locations for a state boarding school. And so Mount Edgecombe is one of the places where students who are in very far removed villages, mostly indigenous villages, come to go to high school. So we have folks from Akiak and, and all up through the Yukon Delta that come to Sitka to go to high school. And these students... They had had a long-term radio program, but it's a big club, so there's between 7 to 20 people that interact with it, right? And because of social distancing issues here at the station, we, we couldn't have them come in in the capacity that they would like. And, you know, depending on the cases in, in town, they couldn't come here either. They were stuck at the school, at their boarding school in their, like, dorms. So being able to build a remote studio for them to be able to do the show as they envisioned and that they lead was really incredible. But it it definitely it was it's kind of a unique scenario having folks, you know, speaking Yupik or any of the many indigenous languages that are spoken here in Alaska and have them play the music that they love and, and have, you know, messages that they share about their family and their language and cultures. So that's that's what that radio club is. And they had been off the air since, I mean, yeah, just about the time the pandemic happened. Many of those students, you know, very traumatically were sent back home and had to be in quarantine for a long time and then were stuck there for months and months and months. So them being able to come back to school, I'm sure, was a big, you know, freeing thing. But then being able to be back on the radio, you could hear them smiling through the radio. And that was really gratifying. That's wonderful. High school radio always makes us happy here at Radio Survivor. And that that sounds like an especially, especially (laughs) good moment for high school radio. Um, Becky Myers, general manager at KCAW in Sitka, Alaska. One of the reasons I invited you on this week is because I have been curious (laughs) how during the pandemic or as we are Um, entering this phase of the pandemic, which feels like it's winding down. Mm -hmm. How do you bring volunteers back into the station? And how how do you keep people who, um, you know, like, I mean, community radio is not essential labor. I mean, it is, but it, you know, when we're when we are making triage decisions about who go who goes to work and who stays home to keep everyone safe, I'm going to guess that that community radio volunteers was um, was pretty much last on the list of people uh, who should go to work, who should mm-hmm. leave their house and go to work. And I was thinking a lot about the good, you know, um, how isolating that is for people who might have volunteered at a community radio station in the year 2020, but were not able to. Mm-hmm. And how do we? How do we open the world of radio back up to to volunteers, to young people um, as well? Like right. what what are you doing at, at KCAW? Well, the the very first thing to figure out was capacity. E- even before the pandemic, we had because of budget cuts on the state level, consolidated a lot of our roles into like one staff position. So for the longest time, our program director, for example, was somebody focused on operations and somebody that was doing volunteer management and they were the production manager and and all of this. And so even before the pandemic, it was clear we really needed to put some time and resources into somebody that could focus on volunteerism. 
And again, we are so incredibly lucky for the CNRF funding that we got from the state of Alaska and the Alaska Community Foundation because they funded a position for us to be able to have a volunteer coordinator. We're working in partnership with AmeriCorps, and we've placed somebody here. Um, They started in January, at the very beginning of January, and they basically are in charge of rebuilding our volunteer pipeline. So we've we've created a database in order to track people. We're, you know, recruiting in a different way now. And one of the projects that we're about to wrap up at the end of March is a a, a remote training system. So we're mm. able to have we're able to recruit people from afar. They learn how to make radio mostly virtually and then they come in in order to get like confirmation on how to use the board and everything. So that we're minimizing their risk, we're minimizing staff risk and we're able to offer volunteer positions to people outside of Sitka too and teach the art of production and radio making. So having that volunteer capacity, having a human being being able to do that and focus on that work has been the the actual reason why we were able to bring people back because it was a very big communication effort. And some people, they elected not to come back because either they had an immunocompromised partner or things had changed in their life. But that was only, you know, out of our on-air coterie of, of folks, maybe two or three people out of 60. So that was, you know, a, a very permissible and allowable, you know, kind of attrition. And those folks will be back when they feel comfortable because they're still, they still love the station. They said so. But for, you know, for me to have to go and talk to all 60 of those people and, you know, try to do the intricate calculus of fitting people where they were comfortable and, and all of that would have been entirely impossible if it wasn't for the fact that we had a, an, a new staff member focused on that work, that they were crucial in that happening. So that'd be one part, you know, and another aspect of it is, is simply, you know, what are our expectations of volunteers and what are ways that we can create opportunities for folks that aren't necessarily conf- confident in coming back to the station? And I feel like the virtual training platform gives us a little more like room for that. What I'm hoping to do in the long term is create like a production, you know, team that can create PSAs and and help with the production of of content. And we're revitalizing our cab too, so that. We can get input on community members that not may not necessarily be in Sitka about how we're performing as a public service organization. So it's a couple of things, really just creating the pathways by which folks are able to come back or they're able to interact and engage with the station in a way that fits their technology or their um, you know feelings of safety. The remote training, is this happening online or mm-hmm. is it? Yeah. Yeah, it's all online. We we built actually right now we're in the process of testing our prototype. We had built um a training platform using the Google Classroom technology and right mm. now we're we're testing the the kind of structure of it through um you know folks that were willing to either through their interest in instructional design or that they were committed volunteers they're they're kind of stress testing it now and we're making changes to it so that it 
it can do its job, essentially. Like, I, it, we could have created it and just thrown it out there. But, you know, the moment somebody has to sit through an hour long, you know, like, the explanation of all of the terms that we use in radio, and what are the exact acronyms would have probably turned them off forever from radio. So making it palpable and, and something that people can can really learn from that was our aim. So right now it's in development and it has a number of different tracks and it fits automatically with our our volunteer tracking system. So whenever somebody finishes a class, they'll be flagged for being able to do that task that's associated with the module we've designed. That makes a lot of sense to me and yet, you know, on the, on the other hand, it's very forward looking, I think. Um at you know, at this stage in in, in the pandemic, I think a lot of people are effectively webinared out, especially folks who who have been lucky enough probably to continue to work their regular jobs from home rather than from an office, but spend a lot of their day, you know, in meetings or or in webinars. And I'll say for myself, I've been in a lot of webinars that were not well produced, mm-hmm. you know, where, you know, <laughs> ostensibly we're, we're, we're supposed to be there to learn and take in information. But, uh, you know, not a lot of thought went into trying to see how do we how do we shift the way we do this, taking into account that you've got all these people online staring at screens with all sorts of different, uh, you know, situations going on in the yeah. place where they are, a home yeah. uh, or, 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 you know, in a den or in a backyard even, you know, trying to find both the quietude and the space to do this. And it's interesting, you know, that you're, that you're taking cues from established online learning uh sort of principles and pedagogy, right, to, to, to make sure that you're, you're not just going to dump a ton of information on folks who are, who are brand new mm-hmm. uh, to, to broadcasting. Because in the in-person, in a training, I think you have the opportunity to sort of gauge the other person's attention, um, you know, take into account both, you know, things they might say to you, questions, but also take into account body language to see, is this going over their head? Am yeah. I, am I just just dumping or, or are they, are they engaging and seem to be following? Yeah. And I wonder, Becky, I wonder if it's appropriate to ask you um, because one of the things that Paul's question just brought to my mind is that we've definitely had um, two Americas, this pandemic, we've had the work from home America and the, the, the not work from home America. And one of my, one of my, um, one of the things that is in my mind now is how, who does get to volunteer at their community radio station? And is it the person who already had the privilege to work from home? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, who, how, how do you know who's coming back into to your volunteer, uh, volunteer pool? Yeah. Well, um, that, that is a really good question. And, and there are a lot of parts to it. I'll, I'll start with the um, learning channel issues. So yeah, as you pointed out, I think, Online learning and webinars, they, they've been so prolific that I think people are definitely starting to fatigue. And so how do you create a multi-channel experience for folks to be able to understand information? And we've, we've tried to put some thought into that and we've added in, you know, captioning for videos, the videos themselves for different topics. They're no longer than 10 minutes, if, if at all possible. And they're putting, you know, kind of bite-sized pieces with accompanying documentation. And then, you know, what are some generative exercises that, you know, help people feel more creative about what they're learning about? And part of that is, you know, creating a persona for somebody that you're broadcasting 
podcasting to and imagining who your target listener is. And so that's a live exercise that gets scheduled on occasion, along with some other sort of check-ins and, and things like that, where people don't necessarily, they're not, you know, trying to, you know, drink water from a fire hydrant. They're, they're trying to get little bits at a time and we're augmenting it with opportunities to ask questions for, you know, moments for people to just be in community. And, and that's another aspect of the volunteer program that we're building out is what does that regular meeting schedule look like and have it be optional when people are able to go, but have it on a regular enough basis so people feel like they're still part of community. That's that's a big part of it. Um, I think when we talk about the digital divide and the way that there has been two Americas in this way, you know, it, it, for me, it's hard to tell because I have the privilege of having been able to work and not at home and safely throughout the entire pandemic. I, I have my own office. I, I kind of, I make the rules, so to speak. And so, you know, I it, it can be hard for me to see what other people are experiencing as barriers. And so I'm being really, um, I'm being honest about that, but I'm also I'm partnering with other organizations in, uh, I think, a, 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 what's the word? We equally benefit from symbiotic, thank you, symbiotic relationship with other organizations to see if, if they, you know, can help us kind of crack that nut. Like what, what is, what do we need to do if we're looking to recruit people on a remote basis? And to that end, I'm, I'm partnering with the Yakutak Clinket tribe in order to do that. What my thinking is, is that we can work together to figure out ways for community members to get this learning in a way that, you know, is accessible and internet type stuff in Yakutat that's not super accessible for a lot of people. It's very cost prohibitive. And while they're trying to improve that situation, it's not an immediate solution. Like you can't get Starlink in Alaska yet, folks. That's just the way it is. But how are we partnering with the school districts or, you know, the tribal health and human services divisions in order to provide access to the bandwidth and the facilities for folks to be able to take part in these trainings? So we're, we're going to be talking with the tribe directly about what they think might be a good idea around that. And I'm, I'm not I'm trying to step back as far as I can from imposing my own thinking and understanding around this and, and really asking the tribe to drive what supports they need. There's some stuff that is obvious, like they need, you know, some help with fixing they're, they have a low-power radio station there. It needs a little attention around the engineering. And so how are we able to provide that? They they automatically are like, yes, please, please help us with that. But as as it goes with volunteering, training, and engagement with that community, I'm, I'm going to be working really closely with C Cynthia Peterson, who's the head of the tribe. So that that's just one kind of it's the attempt to figure out what what are the things that we need to be thinking about in terms of access and barriers to access. And I'm hoping that this will be kind of a proof of concept for us in going forward. Yeah, that is very exciting news for me uh, as a host of Radio Survivor to hear just how hard you're working at your radio station. Um, you know, like we've this the story <laughs> is not new. The pandemic isn't didn't change reality at stations um there was already barriers to certain people being able to volunteer to make radio and you know radio stations even 
even um, even when they're open to everybody, don't necessarily um, feel open to everybody because of um, because of everything that was already here in America before the pandemic, and the pandemic just sort of um, really, really, really emphasized that or made it more extreme. So to hear that at KCAW Radio, you, as a leader there, that you've reached out to the Yakutat tribe to mm-hmm. uh you know it, it's very much a um uh it's not just opening the door and putting up a welcome sign but also like um you know really yeah i i yeah. don't like the word proactive but it sounds <laughs> like you were really proactive there um also what an exciting uh thing for us to find out about that there's a low power fm station oh yeah uh, there that the tribe has access to i love the idea of kcaw raven radio um having a having relations with a low power <laughs> fm tribal radio station mm-hmm. it seems like that um the 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 people who can help make radio in both the at both stations can really um strengthen each other it's cool i think so too and i i think i chose that location and and i'm working with uh cynthia directly primarily because they have some semblance of production facility already there through that radio station my 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 big goal the thing i would love to do is to figure out how to encourage the production of locally originated programming in all of our translator communities and, and focusing on the ones that have indicated interest there aren't not all of them want to. Some of them are very, very seasonal. Elfin Cove, for example, will have, you know, a very full summer. And then during the winter, like for the entire five or six months of that, we'll have maybe three people there. So they were like, we just want you to be reliable. We want you to provide information and stuff. And that's cool by us. But especially in our indigenous, you know, communities of service, they've indicated having a really strong desire for different kinds of programming. They want to hear the basketball basketball games. They want to hear, you know, Christian radio that they, they don't get served right now. Like they want the musical aspect of it. Most of what we hear around this area is, is just, you know, like preaching kind of stuff. And, hmm. you know, they want a bigger oldies contingent in some of these communities. And so how do we create the facilities that can work hand in hand with radio? Raven Radio, but also like empower community to do what they want. That's that's the secret sauce I'm looking to figure out. Technologically speaking, you know how how do we you know do that? There there are a couple of ways about it, and you know this experiment, this work in partnership with the Yakutat tribe, will be able to you know see exactly how to stress test that with a, a LPFM station working in partnership with a full power public radio station. So just and just to be clear, we talk about a translator community. You're talking about these are communities that you serve literally with another little transmitter, uh, a translator, as they're known. Sometimes people call them colloquially uh, repeater stations so that you're able to get us get your signal out to communities where, you know, it would be otherwise probably impossible to reach with with any sort of FM signal because there's there are mountains, (laughs) large bodies of water and many of them are in valleys. (laughs) Right. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah, that 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 technological, I mean, the the translator or the repeater that that's a very specific FCC filing, and it cannot originate content. Typically, we're we're doing a little research. Um, our one of our colleagues, KRBD in Ketchikan, they um, historically were able to have locally originated programming through waivers with the FCC. Mm. But that that wasn't 
that that was many many years ago. That was like in the eighties, and unfortunately, what I'm finding with um, you know Alaska's relationship with the FCC back in the day, there are a lot of handshake shake agreements and a lot of like looking in the other way because Alaska stations do serve a really crucial communication service in a place where there's a dearth of options. And, you know, the modern FCC, like, are they going to be so chill with that? Like, oh, well, we just want this village to be able to take over our transmitter here and we're going to be cool with it. Is that cool? (laughs) But Alaska. Yeah. I mean, that's always the context of of these rules and regulations in that it it is definitely a type of station that was created to help stations sort of initially fill in gaps, uh, especially commercial stations, just fill in gaps where maybe you should be able to get their signal, uh, but it's weak for for often because of of geographic concerns, then was expanded uh, so that um, non-commercial stations could put them anywhere. Mm-hmm. So it's an idea of basically extending the range of non-commercial stations, especially, you know, thinking about uh, bringing in a station just like KCAW and Sitka into communities that really need to have that kind of radio and otherwise receive almost no radio. So not under the premise that you're filling in a, a gap, but you're really extending the range of the station, but always with that premise that you're, you're extending the range of a given station, right? not mm-hmm. building a new station yeah. that, that has its own its own programming and 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 that you know for the FCC I'm sure part of the question is if you know in weighing uh, a waiver right an exception to the rules for all intents and purposes they have to think through well if we if we grant this to to KCAW you know what what do we do with these other stations that are going to want a, mm-hmm. a similar sort of uh, of waiver like you know eventually it goes from are we building an exception or are we building in yeah. a whole other type type of service well, and when Becky Becky's answer from a moment ago really really brought home to me the 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 fact on the ground that KCAW Raven Radio is providing um, such an important service to so many communities that one one group of people could really use an oldies mm-hmm. radio station and another group of people could use um, Christian music radio, uh, but they only have one KCAW. It's a it's a and, and that's a story that's familiar to people at community radio stations that oftentimes. There are different um, different needs being met by one station that make that make the station seem very um, uh, uh, you know the, the, like a ver- like a wide a wide variety of of programming. Um, Becky Myers, you are the general manager at KCAW Raven Radio in Sitka, Alaska. You're here with us on Radio Survivor. Um, we've been talking about the the year that was the pandemic <laughs> year at your radio station and i'm well, wondering and now i'm actually eric i wanted to follow up on that on, on just on this topic and just because sure. I, I i know that that you know you're, you're serving these communities you know uh with with programming but you also you i mean someone has to also make sure that the broadcast equipment in these communities mm-hmm. is working oh, yeah. and i know that 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 even that in in normal times uh non-pandemic times uh this can be a challenge uh, because at some point you really have to send somebody, you know, a, a person out uh, to do the engineering work. I, I wonder, has it been has there been a greater challenge uh, right now in the, in the last year when I, I'm certain, you know, being being able to 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 get into 
um, a float plane, right? Mm-hmm. Which is a small plane, <laughs> which yeah. are very close quarters no with your pilot distancing. or other passengers. Has that been a challenge? Has it has it caused? Uh, is is it put in any uh, any constraints <laughs> on your service to these communities? Oh boy, I have a wild story for you. So the short answer is, oh my god, yes, it has. And then, you know, something happens, like in in Yakutat. For example, we our, our antenna suffered from a bird strike. So what we think happened was eagles were fighting. One of them smashed into the antenna and dislodged it from its seating. And then it was kind of like hanging there. And it could only broadcast for like... 50 feet <laughs> from where oh, it was no. it was it was really it was catastrophic so as you pointed out getting to these communities is is definitely a challenge and and also to reiterate the smaller communities have the ability and the autonomy to determine what their local like allowance of of people will be in and so in Yakutat they had a very strict policy on incoming visitors and you know you had to quarantine for four weeks and things like that or not for two weeks sorry but but we had this issue <laughs> like it couldn't it couldn't wait for two weeks we had to get kind of our, our act together and so I yeah had talked to a bunch of people at the city at the tribe I worked out uh, you know a housing arrangement where I only the only people I saw were at the airport or the people that were working directly with me to fix the problem because uh, it was up this big tower. I'm not a tower climber. And so um, I I conscripted uh, one of the linemen from the local um, the, the local power company and had worked out like the diplomacy of, of trying to figure that out, flew up. We replaced the antenna. And then I, I left again. That wasn't the only time, though, that I've had to go to a remote community to fix something. We're also working on improving the power at Port Alexander, which is our southernmost uh, translator at the end of Baranoff Island. It, it houses maybe 20 people during the winter, 60 people during the summer. And you can only access that through float plane. So it was a very interesting um, kind of negotiation with the pilot who only runs back and forth there and charter flights. And, you know, he gets tested every week. And I tested for a few weeks prior to taking this trip. I went down. I, I got put into somebody's, like, um, cabin kind of far out. And they left me food and baskets during the time I was down there. And I spent most of my time up, st- up on the hill, you know, trying to figure out, like, how, how are we able to solve the engineering problem that's happening here? And it was pretty intense. And, you know, it take a while to describe, but it, it re- involved a lot of, you know, being outside, you know, climbing around, chopping out. God, I think maybe like an entire acre of Devil's Club, which is like this really spiky, dangerous plant, and <laughs> and just like mowing it down with a machete and and trying to uh-huh. dig out like you know the tower and <laughs> the potential place we'd move a transmitter. So, but I, I saw the only person I saw in in, in person was the pilot, and mm. I and that was me talking to the city council and you know getting special dispensation because they they weren't allowing anybody unless they were like. Uh, public health official to come down. So it was a lot of talking to people, a lot of, you know, saying, you know, I I, I promise I will honor your your commitment to keeping everybody safe here. And I will stay in my room when I'm not working. (laughs) Right. And, and, And their concerns, of course, driven by the fact that I'm certain there's very limited 
medical facilities, if, if any at all, right. so that if there were an outbreak of the virus, um, it could be utterly catastrophic. catastrophic. Yeah, mm-hmm. totally catastrophic for the communities in Alaska where Becky Myers is uh, broadcasting to with the radio. Well, Becky Myers, I hope you are keeping a journal because your stories <laughs> are fascinating. Um, and it must have been quite a year, uh, you know, if not a journal, possibly a podcast. Well, it, we're, we're, we're rounding out the conclusion of today's episode of Radio Survivor. You're the general manager of KCAW Raven Radio in Sitka, Alaska. Um, what What is on your horizon? What's the good news for, oh, for this year? The good news for this year in 2021. Um, you know, I'm, I'm really hoping to be able to rebuild and forge new partnerships with, you know, not just nonprofits around here, but with FEMA and all of the emergency service bureaus in the state government to ensure that Raven Radio, but also public radio writ large is is still able to broadcast and and be that we're a resource in emergency situations. You know, we, we do that work anyway, but the infrastructure could use a lot of help. And I want there to be a general understanding that there, there's a need for duplication of service. We don't rely on any one channel to do our information gathering as humans generally. Like, can you imagine? Oh, yeah, I only talk to George over there. He's my guy. I, that's the only thing I listen to is George. Like, th- nobody does that. So <laughs> being able to demonstrate that to folks on a larger level, like through everything, right? Like uh, all uh, amounts of like perception and and the way that people are in a community or represent a community or lead a community. Folks need to know that we are a very essential part of the chain of communications that have to serve communities. That's a big thing that I'm thinking about, um, kind of really getting those partnerships in place and and doing the advocacy work that, that allows people to think in this way. I'm also... You know, I, I'm not I don't know what it'll be like, but I'm really excited about there being perhaps an alternative to, um, you know, content distribution here in Alaska. Right now, we depend on C-band satellite service, and that's the Alaska Rural Communication Service or ARCS. And that is it has been reliable for us. We've been able to feed our translators, most of them, through the service, but we also have um, low Earth orbit satellite technology that's being launched and tested now that may b- bring a new reality of broadband access to our rural communities. And so what would it look like potentially to utilize that technology to, you know, feed a translator that's set up on like a solar panel in a very remote community of maybe like five or six people who want to be connected, but, you know, wouldn't be able to leave their community for months at a time or, you know, whatever happens to be the case or even smaller enclaves of indigenous people. I love the idea of being able to create media in places where even now were unable to serve. There's a community across the island called Baranoff Hot Springs, and they have between 16 to 40 people there, depending on the season. And they they love Raven Radio. And on very, very occasional times, they're able to get it over the air for like a moment. <laughs> and they write me letters and they're like, oh, I listened to your show. I was able to get it. That was the show for the day. And so if what if I was able to bring them a radio there 24 hours a day? How cool would that be? 
Mm-hmm. So I'm yeah. excited for that and, and kind of thinking through like the technological barriers around that and, you know, just surviving, being able to provide the services that we have and be able to have the capacity because, man, I can't do this work all by myself, right? <laughs> Well, and what you're pointing out there, I think, Becky, is is how radio and information and digital technology, these aren't either or situations. These they're knit together, right? And and I and in some ways you're pointing out to me in, in innovating something like a low earth satellite, which can, you know, also innovate uh folks in access to internet in communities that are poorly served and other sorts of communications certainly can also serve uh, them having access to to Raven Radio and and vice and access in two ways probably right uh, mm-hmm. you know access to listen but then also to be remote producers as well exactly right to be creators and be contributors to it that we're not we're not choosing between digital technologies and radio they they seem very knit together and and the circumstance there uh, puts that in stark relief I think. Yeah. And, and you and I have talked about this. I think we maybe, you know, I've been on Radio Survivor. I'm lucky to have been here enough where we've had a lot of different conversations. But, you know, we, we inevitably all get to the, the, the discussion around the future of radio, right? And we see what's happening on like a national scale and, and, you know, different kinds of classifications, you know, what what's happening with iHeart. They recently laid off a ton of engineering help in the past couple of weeks. There's a move in order to create efficiencies by taking out the human aspect of broadcast. And and some people dread that part of the, the future of radio, but I believe that public radio is positioned in order to create a future that is inherently human. And whatever we can do in order to increase our connectivity amongst ourselves as humans is what we need to do. That's that here, here, uh, <laughs> Becky Myers, general manager of KCAW Raven radio in Sitka, Alaska. Thank you so much for joining us on radio survivor today. It's an honor as always. Thanks. Tell me again about this NFCB program that you're participating in. Mm-hmm. So the community counts initiative is a, um, it, it's kind of a proof of concept slash like theory of change experiment that the NFCB is doing where they have a cohort of like 14 community radio stations, mostly in rural or underserved communities. And the whole point of it is to have a year where they're lending insight into organizational capacity, programming, revenue, and engagement with communities to buttress our, 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 our efforts and to show how interconnected all those pieces are to the success of a community radio station. It's, it's in its second year. Um, the first year was awesome, and they had stations like um, WTIP and KTNA in it. This year, we're a part of the second class, and mostly so far, it's been, you know, taking a really deep look at our organization. So answering a huge, like, assessment survey about, you know, all those parts, the four parts of revenue, organizational capacity, programming, and engagement, right? We answer that, and now they have a bunch of different, you know, um, what are they, like, experts, subject matter experts and evaluators taking a look at that. And then we've had many webinars at this point to, you know, kind of work through the thought tools that the NFCB are asking for stations to to apply to their work, which is in in, in 
in essence, it looks almost exactly like grant planning material. It is the theory of change that folks are, are, you know, in nonprofit dumb create. And what are the, um, if I'm going to use a, a, a hip term in nonprofit dumb, the, um, what's the upstream solution, right? Or, <laughs> you know, how do you fill out a logic model? All, all of this is sort of like, it, it, it's an indelible part of the program, like interacting with strategic thinking in order to build out capacity. So, yeah, we've been a part of that since um, November. Yeah. And we get to decide one project that's funded by the FCC. We have a stipend of about $6,000 to do a project. So our project is to create a proof of concept for partnership with a remote community on local generation of content. Yeah. And is that the tribe or is that a different local a remote community. No, it's it's the tribe. It's all together. Yeah. I you could I mean like I took a look at this idea and I was like, well, what if we just, you know, like did it for everybody, but it seemed like that was going to be way outside of my, you know, limits of being a fleshy human sack stuck on yeah, this ground, that's, you know. I mean, it's very it's very exciting. We like we like this story a lot. I think I think uh, I can't wait to share it with Jennifer Waits, who could not join us today on this episode. Ah. I can't wait to tell Jennifer <laughs> about and you know, as well as the. Um, it was very exciting to hear about the the group of students at the boarding school who were able to get back on the air and and make some stuff. Uh, yeah, good that stuff. Cool good stuff today. Um, <laughs> well, thank you for having me yeah. on. <laughs> okay, well, thank you so much for listening to that episode of Radio Survivor. You know, the last time we spoke with Becky Myers was on the podcast was 49 weeks ago, not 52 weeks ago. I was a little imprecise in my dates. Uh, it was that episode came out on March 30th, 2020, which means it was recorded uh, the Friday previous to that date. Uh, episode number 239 would be what we call that episode. Uh, you've just listened to episode number 288 here on Radio Survivor. We are a podcast. If you're listening to us on the internet, you could subscribe to us wherever you get your time-shifted radio. You can also listen to every episode on our website, radiosurvivor.com. Our email address is podcast at radiosurvivor.com. We would love to hear from you about anything that we talked about on today's show or other things on topic or off topic. We'd love to hear from you. We are a reader and listener supported enterprise to find out more about how you can support the work that we do here at Radio Survivor go to the website radiosurvivor.com slash support on behalf of Jennifer Waits Paul Reesmandel and myself Eric Klein as well as Matthew Lassar thank you so much for listening we'll see you next week Mm -hmm.